If you want to take your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one in the pew rack there in, in front of you. If in your spot there isn't a Bible, and that's your normal spot, you could let us know. We'll make sure we get one there. We have more uh, to put in there. But 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to actually look at the whole chapter this morning. Uh, but we continue in our series on worship. And today, uh, what our focus is and our goal is, is to finish the part of worship that uh, when we look at it, it's, it's about God speaking to us. If you remember, I talked about worship being a dialogue of God speaking to us and us responding to God. And this morning, like I said, we want to finish the part of God speaking to us. And so our goal is to look at uh, the public reading of God's word. What does the Bible say about that? Uh, but also then the preaching of God's word. Uh, we finished up looking at the visual signs and seals of baptism and Lord's Supper. And so this is what we want to move on to uh, this, this morning. Uh, sadly, these two things of the public reading of God's word and preaching often uh, are missing, not only from public life, but a lot of times they're barely even discussed in church life. And this isn't uncommon uh, to even history. Uh, one of the books I was uh, reading, preparing for this, this morning, is called The Priority of Preaching by Christopher Ashe. And in it, at the beginning, in the intro, he talks about how every book on preaching you read and really no matter who wrote it or when it was written, will have a part in it that starts to lament and complain about the preaching of the day and age, that it's bad, that it's not centered on the word of God, that it's not uh, being done properly. And so the fact that we see that today also, like I said, isn't uncommon. I'm not giving it a pass, but it's not something that is uncommon. And thankfully, even with bad preaching, even with at times, pushing away the word of God and reading it uh, often, God has still been very faithful to his church, uh, to keep his church remaining faithful, to keep his church uh, going. And so we're thankful that God does that. He's been faithful, not only to us here, but also to the church universal in that. And this idea of faithfulness is where I kind of want to start this morning. It's why I had you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read the whole chapter. This is Paul speaking to a young pastor named Timothy who's pastoring a church, and Paul is not with him, and so he's giving words to Timothy to help him to know what to do in order to be faithful as a minister of God's word, uh, which is good for us to hear this morning. So follow along with me in chapter 4, <clears throat> beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says, that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil 
and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council, council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So as I said, Paul's talking to Timothy here and he's trying to help him to be a a good servant of God, a minister of the word of God. And I think a question that any respectable pastor would ask and needs to ask is what must I do as a pastor to be faithful to what God has called me to? I think this is a, a good question and one that needs to be thought through and with much diligence prayed about and sought after in God's word is what must a pastor do to be a faithful pastor, to, to lead the congregation, to lead the people of God as God has called him to do. And what is nice is we have this chapter in 1 Timothy 4 where Paul lays out for a pastor what he should do if he wants to be a good servant of God and also to lead his congregation well. We have an answer here, and I want you to notice the common theme in all of chapter 4. In verse 1, there's a warning. Some are going to depart and start listening to false teaching. As you get down to verse 6, Paul tells Timothy to put these things before them, being trained in what? In faith and in doctrine. In verse 7, be trained in godliness. In verse 10, toil and strive in these things. Right In verse 11, he tells Timothy, teach these things. In verse 13, Devote to public reading and preaching, which is also on your bulletin on the front. Verse 15 and 16, he says, practice these things. Persist in these things. The common thread in this passage of 1 Timothy 4, as Paul tries to encourage Timothy to be a good pastor and a good servant, the common thread through all of it is the word of God ministry. It never deviates from that. He's saying, Timothy, if you want to be a faithful pastor to your people who God has given you here, you need to make sure you fill them with the word of God always. That's your focus. That is what you do. That is the most important thing in their life. That's the best thing that you can do as a pastor to love them well, is to have them before the word of God often. It's kind of reminiscent of what the apostles dealt with in Acts chapter 6, because in Acts chapter 6, if you recall, a problem within the church. There were some women who were not receiving their daily food. They were not being cared for how they thought that they should be cared for. And so this complaint came to the apostles and the apostles needed to deal with this complaint because there was an issue. But when the issue comes to the apostles in Acts chapter six and verse two, it says in the 12 summoned the, the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, I do have to say that if somebody came to my office, right, and they came, there became a complaint amongst the church, like, hey, these people, 
they're not being cared for. There's nobody visiting them. There's nobody uh, caring for them. There's nobody getting them any food. Pastor Tim, what are you gonna do? Could you imagine if I said, listen, it's not right for me to leave studying this word to go out and do that. What would you think of me? Just be honest. What would you think of me? You would look at me and you'd say, you don't love people. But that's exactly what the apostles do here. They say it's not right for us to leave the word of God to go serve tables. Now what's interesting is the apostles didn't leave it at that though. They said, we need to find some men who can do this. So they did. The church went out and they found men to meet the need so that the need could be met. But what the apostles were saying is this, not, this isn't something we should be doing because it's our job to speak to you the word of God. And so we need to be faithful in doing this. So it wasn't just pushing the need aside, but it was setting a priority on their task that they had been called to. And so they wanted to be faithful in this. And so to be faithful, as one who's been called to preach and to teach the word, one must stay devoted to the study and the practice of it. Now again, this doesn't mean that pastors don't do other things, but they should never lose focus on their primary task and calling that God has set them aside for, and I would also tell you that you have set your pastor aside for. You have done this also. By calling the pastors that we have, you've set them aside for the primary task to teach and to preach the word of God. Sadly, what's happened today, though, is most preachers are looked at, and to be honest with you, most preachers think in their own minds this, that they're the CEO of a company. Some think they're doctors. Some think they're hospice care professionals. Some pastors think that they are leaders of a charity. Some think that they're in charge of homeless shelters or some other benevolent organization. Now again, while these are not bad things, and these are things that are needed and are necessary, we do not set men aside for the preaching of God's word so that then they can go do all these other things. We set them aside so that they will preach and teach God's word. And that's what Paul is exhorting Timothy to do. Be faithful to this. The elders laid their hands on you and set you aside to preach the word of God. Do that. Do that. That's what you're called for. That's what you are called to do. But sadly, what we see is we see too many churches and too many pastors minimize their calling of the word ministry in order to do these other things. And again, I'm not trying to push aside the importance of CEOs, doctors, charities, homeless shelters, all that stuff. But when we do that and we elevate those things, what we do is we push down the word of God. And sadly, I think that's what is noticed most in churches and in evangelicalism today. And so what Paul tells Timothy, he says, the way to be a faithful pastor is this, handle the word of God well for the church. Stand with the authority that you've been given by God, that you've been commissioned as well by the church. Stand with authority in the preaching and the teaching, understanding what you are going to teach and preach. Understand this word, understand this book so that you can teach it well. And this isn't something new to the New Testament. In fact, if you go back to the Old Testament and if you looked in Deuteronomy, and you can read this on your own uh, if you want to do some reading this afternoon, in Deuteronomy chapter 16 all the way through to Deuteronomy chapter 18, what, what God does for us is he writes within the law the structure of authority within Israel. And it's very interesting uh, when you look at the structure of authority in Israel. 
Now let me do a side note of say, why are you talking about authority? I'm talking about authority for a reason. Authority has been very washed down today. Very washed down today. You see it in all realms. My wife is a school teacher. Uh, Authority has been washed down in schools. Big time. Big time. Kids don't have to look at their teachers as authority. In fact, it's the opposite now. Most kids are the authority. That's the way it's seen. And you better conform to what they want if you want to keep your job and be seen as a good teacher. I'm sure in your line of work, you could see it also. Authority has been pushed aside. Well, do you know one of the reasons why people don't come to church? They don't want to sit under the authority of the word of God. They say, who are you to tell me what the word of God says? I'll read it on my own. There's no authority there. We see God has put in a structure of authority, even all the way back to the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 16, first was local officials. He said, you're going to have local officials within Israel, and they are some authority. Above them are central officials. You see this in Deuteronomy 17. And central officials had their task. After the central officials in in chapter 17 is the king. So here is the king. And you would think, well, that's the end of the authority. No. The chart keeps going up. Because after the king, in chapter 18, he talks about the priest. This is the role of the priest. This is what the priest needs to do. And then after the priest comes the prophet, the man of God. And it says there in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 to 22, and this is, of course, pointing to Christ, but it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, that Moses, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak of, who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you shall say in your heart, how, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And so the Israel is told here in Deuteronomy 18 that there's going to be prophets that come after Moses. Now it is pushing and making us look to the prophet that is to come, Jesus. Right, the word of God made flesh. But God is making it clear to his people that there is authority And and this prophet is going to speak to them the word of God, just like Moses did. Remember, Moses would go and he would hear from God and he would tell it to the people. Because the people said, we don't want to see God face to face. We, We did that at Sinai. That was scary. Have somebody else do it. And so Moses did that. and He was the prophet. And what God did for Israel is he gave them prophets who would speak the word of God to the people. And oftentimes to the king. Would have to go to the king would have to deal with David, would have to deal with Solomon, would have to deal with all the other kings throughout the history of Israel to say, you're not obeying the word of God. This is what the word of God says. This is what you should be doing. This thought led a man named Thomas Carlyle to say, who being called to be a preacher would stoop down to be a king? I don't say that today because I'm a preacher. I say that because I think that's true. 
What we hold in our hands this morning, the word of God, what we have the privilege to read, what I have the honor of doing my best to teach and to exhort is the thing that everybody needs. It's the best thing that we've ever been given in all of mankind. There is nothing better. And we have the privilege to sit under that and to listen to that. There's no greater work in the world, I believe, than handling the word of God for the church. And it should be taken very seriously. And it's a blessing that God throughout the ages has given us men who can teach us the word of God as he's called to do. And one of the reasons this is so important is because the power that the word of God has. Last week I quoted out of Romans chapter one in verse 16 and 17. Well, I, I just did 16 last week, but I'm adding 17 to it this week. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. But there's other verses as well. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Or 2 Timothy 3.16, these are all verses I'm sure that you've heard before. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. The word of God is his revelation of himself to us. God is not some unknown God. He's, he's given us who he is in this book that we have. And Jesus himself being the word of God made flesh, right, is, is God's revelation again to us. We see God in the flesh there in Jesus being perfect in all things. And we know this because God has told us this in his word. We have this book and it's the answer to the world's desperate need what people are desperately searching for is found within these pages that God has given us. And it's not just a book of weakness. No, it's a, it's a book of, of power. As it said in those that I read it, it's living and it's active and it's sharp and it cuts down so that we can see ourselves as we really are, as we read it and as we understand it. I've said this before, but I think it's fitting to keep saying it and to keep reminding it and to keep reminding me of it. It's probably why I keep doing it. As people, we can come up with all kinds of strategies. We can come up with different ways to market ourselves. We can have the best music up here on this stage. You can even have a charismatic preacher. The fact is, the word of God, if the word of God is not the main focus, if it is not the goal of all that we are, then all we are is people of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, who we've been, we've been convinced by deceitful spirits and teaching of demons that there's another way. And we have to be careful with that. Do you know, I've actually had people tell me <clears throat> that hearing me preach is different. It just doesn't have the same impact because I don't have a Southern accent. Yeah. What a strategy. You know, if you just talk Southern, the word of God would really work. Well, would it? I guess they say that about finding a mate too as a guy. If you just had like a British accent or something, you'd be much farther along for a lot of women. <clears throat> but think about that. Is that not ridiculous? But it's true for some people. We need to do something better to get the, God, the word of God out. There's gotta be something. And so sadly, we do look to the charismatic to the people with big personalities. Why? Because we think that will draw it in. We think that 
That's what it'll take to really hook somebody to the gospel, as if the, that person has any power at all to do that. Now, don't get me wrong. I think the person who stands before you and preaches the word of God should speak well. They should know what they're doing. They should strive to, to do a better job at their craft. Now, I'm not dismissing any of that. But when we start to make the power of the church, the effectiveness of the church, when we start to think that it's something outside of being faithful to the word of God on a daily basis, then we are a church that has been deceived by Satan himself. Because that's not how all of this works. It's not how all of it's been brought together. And so we have to make sure that we trust in the power of the word and nothing else. And so where do we place the word of God? Well, we must make sure that within our church, our services, and really everything we do, that the word of God is the centerpiece of it all. Paul urged Timothy to keep these things in front of the people, he would say there in 1 Timothy 4. Keep it in front of them. Focus on the word and make it the priority. And so how do we do that? Well, scripturally, we do it two ways. And this is what Paul said to Timothy there in verse 13. Keep yourself devoted to what? The public reading of the word and to exhortation and teaching or preaching. That's what he's saying. Read the word publicly, preach to them. That's how we keep the word center, day in and day out. And so when we first look at public reading of scripture, we see that throughout the Old Testament, there was a great importance put on reading God's word aloud for all people to hear. Moses was told by God to read the book of the covenant in Exodus 24, to read it aloud to everybody. Deuteronomy 31 says that the whole word should be read every seven years amongst the assembly so that they can all hear it. In Joshua chapter eight, after a defeat, after they defeat AI, Joshua has everybody come and they read the law to everybody. They want the word read. King Josiah, during a time when the word had been lost, finds it. And what does he do? He commands that the whole law be read, to have everybody come and to listen to this word and read it. Nehemiah, as he's rebuilding the walls, has the word read to the people when they return back from exile to do the work. But as we get to the New Testament, this importance is still there. When Jesus goes to the synagogue, remember he goes to the synagogue and what do they do? They hand him a scroll for what? To read. Read this to all the people. And so he reads out of Isaiah. And he reads it for everybody to hear. Paul, when he was writing these letters, which were recognized as scripture, even Peter says that himself. He says, have this read aloud at the church. And when you're done, pass it to the next church. Send it to them and have it read aloud there as well. They need to hear this being read. Even in Revelation chapter one, in verse three, it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. There's a blessing of reading the word of God aloud, of, of publicly gathering together and hearing God speak to us through his word. One of the things that is difficult We'll get to the preaching in a second. But one of the things as a preacher that's nerve-wracking is I get scared to death I'm going to say something wrong. I fear that. I don't want to lead people astray. I don't want to say something that is completely off and that leads you down a path that you shouldn't be going down. That, it scares me to think that I could do that. 
But I know one way that I wouldn't do that, to just stand here and read this word. If I stand here and just read this word to you, you are hearing the word of God being spoken to you and all of us in here together. And one of the great advantages of reading the word publicly is you don't get to choose what we read. You say, well, that's not very fair. Yes, it is. Because some of you here this morning, you struggle with anxiety. And do you know what you read in the Bible? Only verses that deal with anxiety. That's what you look for every day. Some of you moms, you're so worried about your kids, and so all you try to find are passages that have to deal with your kids. And that's what you look for. And you don't look at the whole word of God, you're just looking for specific things. Some of you are older now, maybe in age, and so you start to look for things that deal with things that you're going through. Young people, they're trying to find things that are peculiar to them. And so they don't sit and listen to everything. Well, as you come in here to church, and if your pastors have done their job well, they've prayed over the service, they've talked about what needs to be done, they've chosen passages that we all need to hear this morning, to be corrected by, to be reproved by, to be reminded of. And as we read that word, again, it is the word of God being spoken to us very clearly. But the other thing that Paul said to Timothy was that he needs to be preaching the word. Christopher Ashe, in that book I was talking about, The Priority of Preaching, he has a section titled this, The authority of God is exercised not by the written word, but by the written word preached. See, this is important because whenever Jesus is talking about rebellion of people, when he's, when he's pushing back at the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and oftentimes he says things like this, you persecuted the prophets, or he says, or you are sons of the ones who murdered the prophets. Now, why is he talking about the prophets? Because they are the ones who spoke the word of God. They are the ones who preached the word of God to the people. And he's saying, you guys are rebelling against what you have been taught by the men of God as they spoke the word of God. You're pushing back against them. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus fulfills the role of our prophet He's our prophet, he's our priest, he's our king. Yet today, God has ordained men and called men to be preachers. And the task that the preacher has been given today is to speak prophetically each week. Now, what I mean by prophetically, though, is this. Not sharing with you my dream I had last night, which would be a funny story. But it's not my job to tell you my dream last night. To speak prophetically is not to tell you what's going to happen in the future, even though the Bible does tell us what's going to happen in the future. To speak prophetically is to stand here this morning and to share with you the revelation of God, which has been completed in his word and in the person Jesus Christ. No new revelations, no new dreams, no new thoughts, no new ideas, no new strategies, nothing new am I sharing with you. If I'm faithful to this book, I'll be sharing with you the same thing that pastors have been sharing for thousands of years now. If you look at Romans chapter 10, go ahead and turn there. Romans chapter 10, this will be the last section we look at. Romans 10, beginning in verse eight. Paul says, but, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, 
Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. This idea of preaching here comes out very clearly in what Paul lays out. I read a little earlier than I probably needed to, starting in verse eight, but I wanted us to see that Paul lays out very clearly here what salvation looks like, a confession and a belief in what God has done for you. But he asks this question, how are they to believe if they have never heard? If they have never heard, how are they going to believe? And he said, how, how can they hear if no one is ever sent? And so there's this idea that pastors must be sent out to preach the gospel. And this is why, in Paul's instructions to Timothy, he kept emphasizing preaching and teaching. Saying, Timothy, this is what you've been commissioned to do. Preach the gospel so that the word of God can be heard and can be known, and so that people then can come to understand what God has done for them through the blood of Christ. That's what they need to hear. That's what they need to know. And so stick with that. Be faithful to that. Know this book inside and out and preach it to them. Because when they hear, that's when they then can confess and believe. But if they don't ever hear it, how's anything ever going to happen? I feel really bad for the people in churches who've been duped by their church who think they're sitting under the preaching of the word of God, but they're not. They're not sitting under the preaching of the word of God. They're sitting under the preaching of that man as he tells them the top 10 steps for a better marriage or how to get out of financial trouble or how to deal with the problems you're having today. That's not what we're called to do up here. Uh, We're not called as we preach the word of God even to make sure that when you leave this place, you feel really good about yourself because the fact is some of you need to leave this place this morning feeling horrible about yourself because you're a sinner and you've never trusted in God for the forgiveness of your sins. You've been running from him. Some of you are Christians this morning and you have not been running the race that you should be running. You've diverted to the left and to the right over and over again, and you know it, and in your sin, you are miserable. And you get mad when you come here because you hear about it, and you think, you know what, maybe I should go to a church that's gonna make me feel better. That's a problem. You don't need to feel better. You need to deal with your problem. You need to deal with your sin. But you're not gonna know to do that unless you're hearing the word of God preached to you and it being preached to you faithfully. Now, if the pastor does his job well though, we should all walk out of here this morning understanding who God is, realizing that yes, we are sinners, but we have a God that has made a way for that sin to be dealt with and to be forgiven. That we don't have to live with the misery of our sin, 
because Christ bore that on the cross for you and for me. And if I would just confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe on him, the Bible says what? You will be saved. You will be forgiven. And so that I don't have to walk around with guilt and shame anymore. I don't have to walk around feeling all sluggish because I know that Christ has saved me. And in fact, he's given me his righteousness. He's given me his perfection because I am in him. Well, when you hear that preached, when you hear that taught, that does change how I walk out of here. Because what Satan does to me every week, I don't know if he does this to you, but he does this to me every week. He makes me start to think my faith is based on me. It's based on how well I did this week. And it seems like every week I come in here thinking I didn't do too well this week. But when we hear the true word of God saying to me, Tim, it's not about you though. It's about him. It's about Jesus. It's about what he's done. Oh, then, then I can walk out of here with my head held high. See, for many today, reading the word of God and preaching are just simply old hat, boring and for a different time period. In Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Preaching and Preachers, he says this right at the beginning. He was writing this, and it was talks he gave somewhere, I don't know, 40s, 50s, 60s, something like that. Long time ago, in my opinion. And he said how people were starting to turn to entertainment in their services. They were starting to let films come into their services, testimonies. He calls that entertainment. You probably wouldn't even think of that as entertainment, would you? He called it entertainment. Testimonies, singing. He said these things are what's becoming more popular. He said even now, they've come up with a new position in churches, no offense to Pastor Dave, but of worship pastor. He's like, this is a new thing. Why? Got to be entertained. But when, when he comes down to it, he says this is the reason, because preaching's old. They say preaching's old hat. The new generation won't listen to this anymore. The new generation will not be impacted by this anymore. We've got to come up with better ways to impact people. And I think it's in that same book, or maybe it was in Christopher Ash's book, where it had gotten so bad at one point that in England there were pastors actually standing and saying, we need to stop teaching our missionaries how to preach the word of God. That is not effective in Africa. They don't care about your preaching. What we need to do is we need to teach them how to teach them English, how to be nurses and doctors, and we need to send them over there into society and just get integrated and just love people and care for people. And this is when they will trust in the gospel. I gotta tell you, that's failed. That's failed. Because what's happened is those people just integrated into society and they became worthless. Because they didn't come in the power of the word of God revealing to the people the word of God and the means by which God had told them to do that, which was through his word preached. Now again, this is back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. So to say that preaching is old hat today, well, of course. But who's to blame for this? Who's to blame for this problem that churches face? I put the blame on preachers. I don't put the blame on Christians, I put the blame on preachers. I blame preachers who've lost their trust in the word of God and instead use their wit and their stories to attract. I blame preachers who no longer preach with any passion, any fire. Because what we're told to do up here as pastors is to bring the drama of the Bible alive for people to see and to trust that God will use us to do that. And I hope that when I preach, you see inside of me at least some sort of passion. Passion. 
some sort of excitement, some, some sort of something that you say, man, it seems at least real to him up there. I want you to see that. This, is, this isn't something phony or fake that I'm trying to teach you this morning. This isn't, I'm, not, I'm not on Home Shopping Network trying to sell you something. I'm not trying to do that. I want you to see that there is a passion inside of me because I really believe that, that quote that I read earlier, why would a preacher stoop as low as a king when I have the word of God to share with you? Oh, maybe I could give you money, maybe I could give you food, but I got something much better than any of that. I got the living water. I got the word of God to share with you this morning. Nothing else. Pastor Tim, tell me who to vote for. Like I said, out there, maybe I'll tell you. From here, absolutely not. I got much better things to talk about. Much better things to get across to us this morning. So as pastors, we must take it seriously to answer this call to be the voice of God to our people each week. As we worship God through the reading of his word, as we worship God through the preaching of his word. This authority that's been given to us as we stand here and preach to you is bigger than any other authority that there is. Each week we have the privilege to tell you, the ones that we love, who God has put here at Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, we have the privilege to tell you each week about the God that loves you, about the Savior that came to die for you, about the God who's brought us together to love each other, to share this good news with others, to be faithful to that, to be quick, to be kind, gentle, and patient with other people, to stand for the truth of God and who he is. We have this message, and having this message is the greatest joy, but also the greatest responsibility that there is. And so we must be faithful to handle this book well, you know, one of the things, I have to mention this because it's, it's something that I, I want you guys to hear and I want you guys to spread. Amanda was at work the other day and she was talking with a coworker. Amanda's gone so I can talk all I want about her. <clears throat> they were talking about our worship service and uh, they were talking about how it's, been, it's different. And another coworker walked in and overheard him a little bit and said, oh, I heard there's been changes at Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. And I said, yeah, there, yeah, there's been some. And she said, I heard, I heard that your pastors will not visit people anymore, that they've declared that. We are not going to do that. It was kind of ironic, because my wife was like, well, actually, I mean, Tim did that all day yesterday. That's what he did. I've pondered that for a month or so now and wondered, where would that come from? And I think that comes from a message like I'm sharing with you this morning. Because I do want to pound into all of our heads how important it is for the teaching ministry of this church to be faithful. And I think it's the pastor's jobs to be faithful to that. I do believe that we train and equip you as the church, as Ephesians tells us, to do the work of the ministry, which a big part of that is visitation that I think you guys should be a part of. But, I do think that there's other things as pastors that we do simply because we love and care about people. And part of that is visiting. And so I want you to know that while we will hold true to teaching and preaching the best we can, we do want to visit when we can. We do want to do charitable things. 
I take benevolence calls all the time, all the time dealing with things like that. Our deacons do so much work around here now with the building. Poor Larry got all messy last week because we've have, we have a sewer problem at this church and he, he got in it. Literally, he got in it. I'm not saying that to tell you, look, oh, Tim's doing a great job. I, I want you to know what from care that we have. But let it be known that our pastor's first and primary role is to know the Bible well and to teach and preach it to you. Yes, it is. Absolutely. I won't shy away from that. I am not ashamed of that. When we hired Pastor Dave, I told that team, I do not want a music man. I want a pastor who happens to be able to do some music. Because if we're hiring a pastor, it better be a pastor. I don't ever want to hear again, and I've heard this before, I don't ever want to hear again in this congregation, oh, this pastor, he don't preach. Then he's not a pastor, according to the Bible. Because pastors are those who preach and teach. And so I want that to be our main focus, yes. But there's other things we do. Mission trips, service things, you know, things around Monroe. Pastor Scott leading Serve Monroe with our, with our teens and doing that. There's nothing wrong with having get-togethers and having a fun time. And all, I, I like all of that stuff. But let us make sure that as pastors, and I'm speaking to me and the three, the other three, that when we meet together, when we have these services, what's first and foremost is the word of God. Nothing else. Nothing else. Because if it's something else, then we've betrayed you. We've betrayed you. We've lied to you. And we've told you that this worship is something that it isn't. We must stay centered on this book because this book is the only thing that gives us any power. It's the only thing that can cut down to the bone and to the marrow and to the soul of a person to help them to see their desperate need of a savior. I can't convince them of that. You can't convince them of that. Only this word can. And for many of us in here this morning, you remember and you know the truth of that. Maybe some of you can remember the time when God's word struck your heart. Oh, it cut deep. You realized in that moment maybe, I am a sinner. I am in desperate need of a savior. And God used his word to reveal that to you and to see that and to understand that and to know that. And some of you this morning, maybe the reason you don't go to this book every day is because you don't want it to cut you again and again and again because you know the power that it has. Let us hope, let us pray, let us ask God that he would help us to be faithful in staying true to his word. When there's so many other things in this world that seem so attractive, when there's so many things in this world that seem like, you know what, that just makes sense and I think it might work, let us pray that God would keep us from those temptations. Let us pray that God would keep us centered on his word the thing that he has given us to show people their need of a savior. And the only thing that we have that's effective. 
It's our only weapon. So let us stay true to it. Let's bow together. Let's pray this morning. I know the team's gonna come. We're gonna sing a, a song to close. I do want to say before I pray, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, one of the things that I would want you to take away from this message is this. And I'm being serious about this. I want you to hold us as pastors accountable to everything I just said. I want you to hold us accountable to being true to the word of God and staying true to it. And if we're ever deviating from that, I hope that you will make that clear to us you would come to us with concern because this is a task God has given us for you to love you well and if we're not loving you well we want to know that so I ask that you would hold us accountable to that and I trust that you will God we thank you this morning for your word God help us to never get to the point to where we come up with other strategies than what you've given us. God, help us to see that if everything had to fall away, if everything had to disappear, what cannot disappear from our assembling together is your word. It must be held high. It must be read and it must be proclaimed. If we can't do anything else, we have to do that. And so help us to be faithful to that. Help us to see the priority of your word, the priority of your word preached as we gather together. Help us to see and understand the benefit of it. God, forgive us of the times that we've tried to go other routes, that we've tried to go other avenues and ways. But God, I know that that is going to happen if it's not for you working in us and you allowing us to be faithful. So God, help us. God, I pray for that Christian here this morning who's been struggling. I pray that you would point them to your word, that they would see your word, and that they would listen to it. I pray for that person in here this morning who's never trusted in Christ. God, I pray that this morning they would see your need, their need of a savior, and that they would trust in him. God, while there's a lot of good books out there, there's a lot of good material to read. There's no book that's living. There's no other book that's been given to us by you. And so help us to be people of your word, to know it inside and out, to long for it, to have it in our heart, to have a passion and a fire inside our soul for your word, and that it would bring a joy and an everlasting peace that cannot be found anywhere else. So God, we thank you that you've given us your word. We praise you that you have sustained throughout all of time men who've been faithful to preaching it. And God, we pray that that would continue, that you would continue to uphold your church by your word. God, we pray that that would be us as well. So God, as we sing this last song to you now, help us to worship you, help us to honor you through our singing. We ask in Jesus' name.